0: Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be sharing the word of God with you this morning. I'd like to cover a lot, so I'd ask that you turn open your Bibles this morning to our chapter one chapter one of Ezekiel. That's our passage for today. And specifically I'm going to be exegeting verses four through twenty eight. So let's get right to it. I don't know about you, but if somebody were to come up here and, and I were sitting where you are and, and, and they were to say, I'm, I'm preaching from Ezekiel this morning, I would kind of be a little distraught. Um, I'd be rolling my eyes and saying, seriously, Ezekiel? Like that's, Pastor Dave, that's that's what you chose out of all possible options for this morning, you chose Ezekiel. I say that because when I read Ezekiel in like the, the daily Bible reading plan that we do throughout the year, Ezekiel by far is the hardest for me. I don't know if, if, if you have a book like that. And, and maybe I shouldn't say it that way, that there's a book that I like the least. But, but Ezekiel's got to be it. Uh, there's a few reasons for that. One, it's really, really long. Okay? Uh, if you've tried to read through it before, you know that it takes you several, several days or weeks to get through Ezekiel. Number two, it's filled with judgment, and so it's just a downer to read because you're like, it's judgment against Edom, it's judgment against Egypt, it's judgment against Judah. Then it's judgment against Judah again, and more judgment, more judgment, and you just get weary of it. And it's hard to, to see the relevance so easily as it is with James or some other book. That's a little more practical on the surface. Uh, third reason it's kind of hard is just because it's so confusing. There's so many images in it that you just get lost Real quick. Like, what's going on? There's these wheels, and maybe when you think of Ezekiel, that's what you think of. You know, the wheels. Dry bones and the wheels. Okay, somehow we managed to produce a children's song that gets that much across, right? You know, the Ezekiel saw the wheel way in the middle of the air, and, and you know, the dry bones and all that. Okay, so if, if you know nothing else about Ezekiel, you at least know there's dry bones in there somewhere, and there's some wheels. And aside from that, I'm not really sure what those mean, you know, you might say to yourself. So, for all those reasons... Hands down, Ezekiel is the hardest. So it would not have normally been my passage to pick this morning. I would not have gone, what's my favorite passage? Ezekiel. There we go. Let's do Ezekiel. No, not at all. Um, what, what made me do it then? Why are we here? Because I was drawn to it. In a way, I cannot explain. I wouldn't have been drawn to it any other time, except I was flipping through my Bible trying to find a passage to preach on and and I was drawn to Ezekiel uh, Ezekiel 1 in a way that I can't explain to you why I was drawn to that and not something else it was just amazing to me and I saw a picture described in Ezekiel 1 that just blew me away and I thought I need to share that I need to share that with you and and share what it means to me uh, because it excites me it excites me more than anything uh, that I can think of What's this passage about that got me so excited? Well, I, I probably should leave that to the end if I were being a good preacher because you have to save something that makes it a little interesting, gives you reason to listen, right? But I'm not really good at those rules, and, and so I'm, I'm just too excited. I've got to share it with you. Um, the, the reason I, I, I wanted to share this with you, the reason I thought it was so exciting, in fear of giving away my ending here, is because it gives us a picture of God. It gives us a picture of God like nothing, like nothing else described in the Bible. It gives us a direct picture of what God is like on his throne, in his, all, all his glory. And that's exciting to me. When I, when I read that, um, among a whole list of other passages, um, it's something that just came alive to me. Because I read it and thought, this is amazing. Ezekiel got to see... What God is really like, or at least in his limited sense, he, he got to see as much of what God is really like as he possibly could. And God, in his providence, wrote it down for us to see, too. On one hand, I think I wish I could have been Ezekiel to be there to see it. But on the other hand, I thought this is amazing that he chose to write, write it down so it's there for our benefit so we can see it, too, in our own human limited sense. And that's exciting. So I wanted to delve into it. I wanted to explain it to you as much as I can to, to, to get as much out of this image as we possibly can uh, so that you can see it like I see it. Like, so, so that you can be hit by it like it hit me this week. You and I have never seen God. We never will in this earth, by this earthly life of ours. And, and by that, I, I don't mean, um, you know, uh, we can't understand him or or can't know him to a degree for the scriptures we can of course but but nobody is ever going to be able to truly see him as he is Uh, we're told strictly by moses that or in in the passage about moses that no one can see my face and live okay what i'm referring to though is is that none of us even apart from that can even see god in the kind of revelations that are described in the bible for us uh, for example, we, we've never seen Mount Sinai billow with smoke, have we? Um, we've never seen the pillar of fire in the tabernacle or in the temple. We've never even seen God answer us out of the whirlwind like Job. And you know what? I, I recognize that during my earthly life, I will never see a revelation like that either. Okay? It's just probably not going to happen. But that doesn't stop me from wondering what it would be like if I could stand in front of the throne of God and see him face to face as he truly is. Sometimes I wish I just wish I could see God in all his glory. So why did I choose Ezekiel one? Because here Ezekiel gives us this most vivid description of what God's present is truly like. And, and, and it's something that we will never get here on earth. In Ezekiel one, the prophet is given a chance to see something that I will be jealous of till the day I die. I, I, just, I admit it, I will be jealous of Ezekiel till the day that I arrive in glory and see God myself. But until then, I'm going to be jealous because he got to see God seated on his throne. And that is what is exciting. If I'm never going to encounter God face-to-face like Moses or like Job or like David, then I can't think of anything more exciting to read than the words of Ezekiel 1. To see what he saw and to savor it. To savor it. That's what I want to do for you this morning. I I want to look at Ezekiel as more than just a bunch of confusing details. And I can only attribute it to the Spirit. That's it. I I have read this passage before. It's not that I've never read Ezekiel 1 before. I have, many times. And every time I've read it in the past, for whatever reason, it just struck me as a bunch of confusing things and very strange images. But for whatever reason, God helped me to see something different this week, to get past all that and see the main point of the message. And that is just how majestic God's glory really must be in heaven. And I want you to see it too. That's that's it. I just want you to see what I saw. (laughs) And and I want it to move you like it moved me. But you can say to me, Pastor Dave, how can studying this passage, this vision, really change the way that I live? Or really alter anything after I walk out these doors this morning? I believe these 28 verses can have a profound effect on how you live and how you look at things. But I want to save that to the end, for real this time. And for now, I just ask that you would trust me. Then study this passage with me, and I pray that the Spirit will show you the significance of it once you've seen what Ezekiel saw. So, let's start in the text, shall we? Um, We're there at Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel 1 and 3, I'm going to just glance over real quick to get to the main vision, because... Frankly, that's just an introduction to set the background for the whole book. Okay? Um, here in Ezekiel 1, if you're looking there, verse 1, uh, we see that is, this is Ezekiel speaking and that he received this divine picture in the 30th year, which just means the prophet's 30th year of life, when he was 30 years old. There's no significant historical event that happened 30 years before whatever that, that we can date it from. He must be referring to his own life. And, and that's significant, actually, because the 30th year is the year in which a priest would normally be allowed to serve in the temple. Okay, so Ezekiel is described as a priest in these three verses, and it's been significant then that this is in his 30th year, the year he's allowed to start. It's his calling, if you will. And, and based on the other dates that he gives us, the, the fifth month, the fourth day, uh, we can date this to July 31st, 593 B.C. So that's over 2,600 years ago. And in this month, no, no less. So July 31st, mark the calendars, this will be the anniversary of uh, Ezekiel's vision. But anyway, Ezekiel is in the land of Babylon by the Kibar River, we see. And in this setting, the prophet receives this vision. Okay, A vision that ultimately meant to communicate the true majesty and glory of God in heaven. So follow along with me as we start reading the main bulk of this message, which is found in verses 4 through 28. And we'll go uh, just with verse 4 for now. As I looked, behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with flashing fire, uh, flashing forth continually and a bright light around it. And in its midst, something like the glowing metal in the midst of the fire was there. Ezekiel saw a a raging electrical storm. Okay, that was a great cloud, he says, Uh, a wind, a fire flashing, probably even lightning, if he's describing it in this way, a bright light like glowing metal, it says. And out of that mass of cloud and smoke and and fire and lightning comes these creatures that are described for us in the next few verses. So look now at verses 5 through 11. Within it, within this storm, there were figures resembling four living beings. And this was their appearance. They had human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet were like a calf's hoof. And they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings on their four sides were human hands. And as for the faces and the wings of the four of them, their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. As for the form of their faces, each had a face of a man. All four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of the bull on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being and covering their bodies. So here we see these creatures appear. Okay, From out of this intense lightning storm in heaven, these living beings emerge. And on one hand, there are many familiar features about them that we read initially. Okay, We noticed as you look down in your text uh, that they have a human body. They have human hands. They have a human face on the front of them. And yet... Obviously, there's something very, very different and strange about them as well. Okay? They're unlike anything we've ever seen described before. They're unlike anything Ezekiel would have ever seen before. While they do have human legs, it says, instead of feet, they have hooves of a calf. And though their body is that of a man, Ezekiel tells us that they glowed like bronze, like a bright, shining, perfect uh, you know, mass of bronze. In addition to this, we're told that they don't have just one face, but four. Okay? And each of these four creatures has the same four faces. In order, it says that they have the face of a man in front, the lion to the right, the bull on the left, and then behind them an eagle's head. And even though this prophecy is over 2,000 years old, I imagine this image would have been just as baffling to Ezekiel as it is to us. Okay. So during this week, I wondered... What's the significance of these faces? Okay, why are there four faces on these living creatures? Why these animals, not some other animals? Unfortunately, like so many questions I might raise to you this morning, I don't think I have the answer to that. And there's a lot in this vision that we're just not going to have the answer. Why is there a bull's face rather than a horse's face? Or not a falcon instead of an eagle? I don't think the, the, the text really gives us that answer. The, the overall picture we're given is of mighty, majestic, huge creatures that, that are awesome and, and terrifying and amazing all at the same time to see if, if they were to appear up front, in front of us, uh, we'd have that same impression. People through the years have tried to do something with these spaces to try and make significance out of them. In fact, if you've been to... Uh, maybe a Catholic church or or a cathedral or or just a church that's decorated heavily with maybe stained glass windows and a lot of symbolism and and artwork, you may have seen these four beings portrayed. There was a a highly ornate church that we visited in Boston when we were living up there. And I took a photograph, I wish I could show it to you now, of, of a cross that was hanging above the altar. And it had on each of the sections of the cross, each of the points was one of these four creatures. And that's because down through history, beginning with the church fathers, um, church historians and scholars and and such have tried to associate these four beings with the Gospels. uh, So that um, in Matthew, um, that stands for the man's face, the lion stands for Mark, the bull stands for Luke, and the eagle for John. You're going to look in vain if you try and figure out why They're associated with who they are. I don't know that there's anything about John that we could say fits an eagle's description, nor is there anything in Ezekiel that points us to that kind of interpretation, that these are somehow supposed to be associated with the four evangelists. That's not. But in case you're ever in a church with all this decoration, when you see those four, now you know what they mean, or at least what they were intended to mean by the people who who put them there. However, I don't think we should necessarily go that route. We're not going to know why there's a bull and what that's supposed to stand for. My best guess, if I had to put forward one, is that these are living beings representing God's creation. They seem to be a very high order of angels and types of creation that God has made. Uh, but I don't know if there's anything to that. That's just my guess. You can take that with a grain of salt. Okay? Um, but those are the faces of, of the beings. And then we have further description that makes them a little odd. We see they have wings, okay? Even though they have the form of a man, they have these wings about them. And it says that there are four of them. That's both unusual and grand, for we often think of of angels as having two wings. But here there are four. Two wings, it says, covered their bodies, and two they used for flying. And then each each of these four wings has human hands underneath of them. Okay, so four sets of, or four human hands along with the four wings, We get the sense that these are mighty wings, large wings. And this adds even more intensity and awesomeness to these creatures. We see in verses 9 and 11 that the two wings were used for flying and they were spread out above their bodies. And when they flew, they were so long that the wings of the one being touched the wings of another so that the two beings touched through their wings. And that was the immense expanse of of their, their wingspan something amazing to look at. And then we're given some description about what the sound of these wings were like. If we jump ahead a little bit, it's placed a few verses down in Ezekiel 1.24. I also heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of abundant waters as they went, like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of the tumult, and the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, their wings dropped. So when their wings fluttered, Ezekiel says, the sound could be likened to four things the sound of rushing water, the sound of God Almighty, which we, of course, have never heard that, so we're not sure exactly what that would sound like, but certainly terrifying and awesome. I would think of Mount Sinai when God speaks, and it sounds like the, the sound of a trumpet, a mighty trumpet, that just drops people to their knees in fear, a violent rainstorm and wind, and the sound of an army camp getting ready for battle. I was thinking of kind of working a little bit of Sound magic for you, maybe to kind of get some sound effects online and and put those together and play them for you just to kind of get a, a brief glimpse of what that sound may have been like. I didn't get to do that. But if you just imagine in your mind all four of these things coming together, what the sound of these wings must have been like, the fearfulness of it all, as Ezekiel saw it. With all these vast descriptions, you might pull back and ask the question, What are these strange creatures anyway? Okay, so we're describing these creatures with four faces, burnished bronze, four wings, wings that make this terrible sound. What is it? Well, Ezekiel doesn't really tell us here, but thankfully we can read the entire book of Ezekiel and he tells us elsewhere. You don't have to flip there, but if you were to go to Ezekiel 10, you'll see that he has another vision where he sees these exact same creatures and he tells us exactly who they are. And we know they're the same because they have four faces, four wings. They have hands under their wings. In Ezekiel 10, they make a loud sound. All of that is described for us. But he tells us in chapter 10 that these are the cherubim. The cherubim. They're identified for us. And now we know who they are. These, these cherubim uh, are the ones that encircle the throne of God. And maybe you haven't heard a whole lot about cherubim. Maybe that word doesn't mean much to you. Um, but perhaps you might remember it from our hymn that we sung this morning. If you love the, the, the hymn, Holy, 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 as I do, we sung um, cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee. Okay? They're, they're a special rank of angels, ones who minister specifically at the feet of the throne of God. And if you've been reading your Bible through this year, you may have read several references to cherubim in the Old Testament as figures depicted in the tabernacle and the temple. Okay? If you were to just do a quick word search for cherubim, you'd find a lot of references in Exodus. Why? Because before Ezekiel even takes place, cherubim are referenced and made as a crucial part, a crucial part of the tabernacle and the temple. Um, they're, they're, They're placed in several different locations. Most significantly. Cherubim rests on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Two figures with wings pointed towards each other and touching in the middle. And as you know, the Ark of the Covenant was meant to be the footstool of the throne of God. And then if we look ahead into the time of the kings when Solomon builds the temple and his father David has given him blueprints for the, for the temple and materials for it, we see that not only does the Ark of the Covenant have these cherubim, but also in guarding the, the Holy of Holies where the Ark of Covenant rests, There are two cherubim that stand guard, whose wings stretch out and touch the walls that they're standing alongside. And then the middle wings touch each other, just as it says in Ezekiel. I don't think that's an accident. Okay, so we we get all this description for us um, in in. Exodus and with the temple later on. And they're even described in Revelation as being around the throne of God. All this points to the fact that they are an elite class of angels. We can tell that that minister specifically around God's throne. And so while their appearance may be strange, when I read Ezekiel and I see that the cherubim are there. That makes me excited because I know the throne of God is nearby. That's where they're mentioned in every other part in the Bible. So the throne must be close at hand, and it will be. But let's move on to Ezekiel 1, verses 12 through 14, which now describe the movement of these beings. It says, each of them went straight forward. Whenever the, wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. And in the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright and the lightning was flashing from the fire and the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. Okay, so we have uh, this whole passage, by the way, can be broken down pretty easily. I don't have an outline for you this morning. You can probably tell that already. That's like the three points of this or the four reasons of such and such. I'm just kind of going through this passage like a tour guide (laughs) the best I can kind of show you what Ezekiel saw. And so we can divide up the passage in that way. We have the description of the beings. First, their, what their appearance is like, then their movement, which we're just in now, then the wheels, which we'll see in just a bit, and then the throne. And, and that organizes the text pretty well for us. But now that we've described their appearance, we get to their movement. And the picture we're given is, is that of beings that are darting from place to place. Verse 14 says their speed was as fast as lightning. We were told that they didn't turn as they went so that the face of the man that was in the front of their body always remained straightforward. Okay? It said they didn't turn their heads to look one way or the other. Each would just stay straight and, and move in the direction that the Spirit would guide them. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read these, I kind of picture uh, you know, the image of a soldier. Um, a while back, I got the chance to go to Washington, D.C., and... And see uh, Arlington Cemetery, and, and see the uh, the tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and there there are guards that guard that symbolic uh, gravesite uh, day and night, who march back and forth, and don't even you know break from their seriousness, from their stone face that they carry with them, just remaining solemn and serious about the work that they have to do. And if you've ever seen those images of a soldier just standing guard, not moving one bit, that's kind of how I picture these, these beings, that their heads don't turn anyway. They only look straight forward and they go where the Spirit leads them. Okay, that's the image, I think, that we're being given here. But in addition to this, between the tr- these creatures, the text tells us that there are something like torches of fire that darted all around them. And you'll see, by the way, in this passage that Ezekiel's going to use a lot of something like, or it appeared to me like. Okay? We, we will never be able to see exactly what Ezekiel saw in this lifetime. And even Ezekiel, we can tell, was just beyond. Uh, he was at a loss for words. Okay? The best he can describe is say it looked like uh, coals of fire. It looked like lightning. It looked like sapphire. All these different things were going to be described. There's... Things in front of his eyes that he has never seen with brilliance that is unmatched by anything he's ever seen with might and power and fearfulness like he has never been afraid of anything before in his life. And the best he can do is just try and pick something majestic, something amazing, something bright, something terrible or or awesome in this life and try and compare it to him to that. So we don't know exactly how majestic it was. We couldn't even describe it to each other if we wanted to. But he says, the best of my ability, it looked like like fire, like lightning passing between these beings as they moved. As they are moving and being guided by the Spirit, there's this energy, this this light, this fire that's coming all around them and moving between these beings. I don't know what that means. I wish I could give you an interpretation of this part, but like so many other parts of this passage, I have to admit to you that I don't know. what what all that is meant to signify. Um, But I know it's terrifying, and I know it's majestic, and I know it stands for God's holiness. I know there's a sense in which, even if you don't understand the meaning of every single little lightning bolt or coal of fire that's being passed around, you get the sense that what Ezekiel is seeing is amazing. And I, I just would invite you to ask Sarah sometime. She'll tell you, I am terrified of lightning, okay? So when I read lightning in here, that's something that gets my attention a little bit. I mean, you can ask her. There are times when we've been, you know, in years past when we've been married, that there was a lightning storm outside and she's found me hiding in the hallway listening to music with giant earphones, okay? That's how terrified I am of lightning. And I'm a little bit embarrassed to say it, but it's all right. You all know now, so you can, you know, poke fun me later. But um, that's what a storm does to me. So if I would have seen what Ezekiel saw, I know I just would have been terrified of it. Okay? So when, when this is all just depicted for us, I know that it's something that's both amazing and terrifying all at the same time. So that's the movement. We have these amazing creatures. We have their movement darting back and forth and these torches of fire going between them that's coming out of the heavens and just kind of appearing to Ezekiel as he's able to see them and they're just filling his whole range of vision as he's looking at these these creatures in the sky. And then beside them, another thing appears that's equally majestic. We have these wheels that appear in verses 15 through 18. Follow with me there. So I looked at the living beings. Behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels... And the workmanship was like sparkling barrel. And all the four of them had the same form. Their appearance and workmanship being of one wheel as if it were within another. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. And as for the rims, they were lofty and awesome. And the rims of all four of them were full of eyes round about. So here we have those familiar wheels, right? The ones in the, the children's song, okay? Okay the ones we at least knew about maybe before I started this message. There are these beings, but yet alongside of these beings appear these, these wheels, these confusing and awesome wheels. What are they doing there? What What is the purpose? Why, why wheels? Um, we know that they're resting on the ground, says that, but yet at the same time they tower above Ezekiel's head. And this is the tricky part that scholars and exegetes struggle over. It says there's... Uh, as we've given it here in the text, a wheel within a wheel. Now, picture in your mind, okay, how would you understand that? There are two major ways that we could. You could imagine something like a target, a bullseye, okay? Um, one wheel like this, and then a smaller wheel, parallel with that, within it. That's, that's one way. And when people see that, they often think of like a chariot wheel, a wheel of, of some, some sort of vehicle, But the more common way of understanding this is is to understand it as a wheel in the midst of a wheel, a wheel intersecting a wheel. And that gives it a little bit more different of an image. Imagine if you had a wheel, maybe like a hula hoop, just to, to give you a picture here, and you had two of them of the same size, and you turned one 90 degrees so that they're one this way and one going this way, almost like a gyroscope. Okay? two wheels intersecting each other going in, in different directions that's the way most scholars interpret this if you had to put a visual image to it what, what Ezekiel is trying to say by a wheel intersecting a wheel of course that's only our best guess and it says that these wheels seem to be made of sparkling barrel Okay, there's a lot of uh, gemstones mentioned in the Bible, especially when you get to Revelation 21 and we see the New Jerusalem described or when you go back to Exodus and you see the priestly garments described, how there's gemstones that represent each of the tribes. And some are familiar to us, some are not. Beryl, I don't know if that's such a familiar stone to you, but maybe you've heard of its most famous uh, derivative, and that's an emerald. An emerald. An emerald is nothing more than a type of beryl and the, one of the more common versions of it. So, perhaps, what Ezekiel is saying, and this, this is some sort of brilliant green, a brilliant green wheel. We don't know. There's several types of barrel. There's another common type that's yellowish, gold in, in appearance. So, if I had to guess, I'd say that perhaps these wheels are appearing to him as, as bright gold. or or bright green, we don't know. Um, The NIV translates this as chrysolite, and that can be either a greenish or a yellow or golden stone. So what color are the wheels? Well, I'd say if you pick one of those colors, you're pretty good. You're pretty close. But the point is, no matter what color it is, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I mean, the closest thing I can think of usually is something made of, of, uh, of brass. You know, you think of a nice polished brass trumpet or something where it just shines and glimmers if you had these enormous great brass wheels or maybe even golden ones but there's something to the sparkle of a gemstone that even outdoes that and to have enormous wheels made of barrel made of the shiny yellowish gold color that yellowish greenish whatever you want to say would have been would have been amazing beautiful unlike anything we've seen Then we're told, in addition to all this, that the wheels are covered with eyes. Another strange picture we're given. Obviously, the wheels themselves are odd, but the fact that they're covered with eyes are a little bit more strange uh, to themselves. I don't know if you've ever seen, well, of course you have. You've seen a dollar before. Have you ever looked in the back and seen some of those strange symbols that are in the back of the dollar? If you have one in your pocket, you can pull one out and check it out. There's that picture of the the pyramid. And uh, on the pyramid, at the very top, there's this, Little cap that has the eye on it. And, uh, and so, in looking at this whole passage about wheels and eyes and everything, I immediately thought of that because I thought, there's another example of where there's eyes on something that I wouldn't expect to see eyes. And it's neat because when I looked online to see what the symbol of that, uh, symbolism of that is, I'd never known. I always thought it was a strange thing to have in the back of the dollar. Uh, apparently, the 13 steps of the pyramid are meant to stand for the 13 original colonies. And the eye on the top is meant to stand for, uh, for God, essentially. The eye of providence is what it's called. God looking out. And, and, and if you look, there's, there's Latin words written underneath the, this image. And it essentially says that God has made us prosper. So just another reference, by the way, in our currency, in addition to God we trust, um, of a reference to God being a part of uh, somewhat of, of what our country was founded upon and some of the values that they held, um, of course, we know not everybody among them was actual born-again Christians, but at least we have that there. And I thought that was neat that, that in this image that's on our dollar, there's this image of an eye. And it's meant to stand for this, this idea that God is the one that sees all things. He has caused us to prosper as a nation. He is the one that, that is above all and through all and causes all to exist. And though we can't go back and, and read the image of a dollar back into the biblical text, I think the eyes are being made to represent somewhat of God's omniscience and omnipotence here in Ezekiel 1. Standing for God's sight over all things. God's all-knowingness, uh, all of his knowledge, and how there's nothing that escapes his sight. That would be my best guess for the wheels. Um, what do the wheels mean overall, though? Okay, So we have this, this bright and shininess, the, the eyes. What are we supposed to see? Uh, that's a little bit harder of a question. Some have proposed that perhaps what's being described is a chariot. A chariot. And actually, it's not such a bad view. Uh, there are four wheels. There's going to be an expanse on top of the wheels that we'll read in a minute. And we're going to see the throne is resting on top of these wheels in this expanse. And there's an interesting passage that I just want to read for you that I never saw before this week. And it really struck me as amazing. First Chronicles 28, verse 18. This is a passage that's talking about David. He wanted to build a temple for for God, but God said, no, you're a man of war. We're not going to have that. But your son uh, Solomon will. And so it's giving a description of David giving all these uh, blueprints, if you will, of the temple to his son Solomon. It says in this verse, he that is David also gave him, that is Solomon, the plan for the chariot, that is the cherubim of gold that spread their wings and shelter the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Did you hear that? In First Chronicles, it calls, it calls the Ark of the Covenant a chariot. I never had thought of it that way before. But the Bible makes that comparison. That the cherubim and the Ark of the Covenant that rested inside the temple was known altogether as having this chariot-like form. And so when we associate all these things together, consider what Ezekiel is saying, and we see the throne of God in his, in his vision, and we know that the, the, the Ark of the Covenant is the footstool of the throne of God, and there's cherubim in both, and there's wheels in both, and there's gold in both. I can't help but think that's not such a bad way to think of it. That Ezekiel is almost seeing what looks to be like a magnificent divine chariot or throne of heaven coming coming right in front of him. That's pretty amazing. Next, if we go to Ezekiel 19 through 21, we're getting close to the end here, it describes the movement of the wheels. So we had the description of the beings, movement of the beings, description of the wheels, the movement of the wheels. And I won't get into this very much because it's very similar to the last part. Uh, it, in short, it doesn't seem like they turned like they'd expect a wheel would. It doesn't turn around like we normally see a wheel. They seem to remain in place. But instead, they darted back and forth alongside these living creatures. And verse 19 says, wherever the beings moved, the wheels moved with them. Wherever the living, beings, whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. And wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. So they seem very tied to the beings themselves. And they dart and move up and are lifted and, and are dropped from, to the earth with the spirit. And in, in conjunction with these beings, they move together. Again, I think the basic idea is, is that this whole scene is magnificent and awe-inspiring. To see these magnificent wheels that are just gleaming and shining in front of you alongside these magnificent creatures that are coming down out of heaven, enveloping your entire range of sight, would have been amazing. And, and that's not even the end of it, okay? Uh, this is just what he's seen, but, but after that, as these wheels descend and as these beings descend, there's something else that's revealed to him in this last section. Ezekiel 1, verses 20 through to 20, 28 it said spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like an expanse, sparkling like ice and awesome under the expanse. Their wings were stretched out one to the other, and each of the two wings covered its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings. We already read this part, like the roar of the rushing waters, the voice of the almighty, the tumult of an army. And when they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. And above the expanse over their heads there was a throne of sapphire. High above on the throne was the figure like that of a man. And I saw from what appeared to be his waist up he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And from there then down he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of likeness of the glory of the Lord. We've come to the central part of the Revelation, what this has been building up to. The movement and the beings and the wheels and everything. If you thought the beings were magnificent, if you thought these wheels were something to see, just look at what they're carrying. Just as Ezekiel is taken in this full image of the wheels, he sees this surface appear like sparkling ice. And, and this is no mistake, by the way. When you go to Revelation, you'll see something described like a sea of glass right above the cherubim where the throne is seated. Okay, I think there's incredible harmony here with what the Bible is saying the throne is like. And again, this is the best Ezekiel can do. How do you describe something that's sparkling? I almost imagine what he's saying is like a, a surface made of diamonds. Okay, imagine sparkling ice. If, if you think of ice, I mean... Yes, that's shiny, but it, it can also be dull, you know? If you, if you have some ice cubes that you make or you think of an ice rink, I mean, it's, yes, it's reflective, but, but only in a limited sense. He says this ice is sparkling and it's shining like, like the brilliance of a diamond and it's lowering and as he sees past that expanse, he sees what's on top of that expanse and it's a throne. It's a throne of sapphire. Sapphire is blue. Sapphire is amazing. If you've ever seen a sapphire before, imagine an entire throne, composed of of this one crystal shining with the brilliance of itself and the fire that's surrounding by it and and this brilliance of the surface it's resting on. And on that throne is a figure. A figure that is the central focus of this vision. It's God. God the Father. God the Father described as blazing fire from head to toe. And and I, I am without a doubt certain it's God the Father. I've read... I've read, you know, sermons or um, commentaries that try and say this is Jesus Christ, uh, that this is the pre-incarnate Christ or the second person of the Trinity. I don't think there's anything in the text that leads to that conclusion, because uh, in Revelation, for one thing, it says to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb so that the two are not the same. And everything that we've been seeing built up points to the fact that this is the throne of God the Father. The cherubim and the Ark of the Covenant point to God the Father. The cherubim here are pointing to God the Father. God the Father is going to be the one that speaks to Ezekiel. This is God the Father. We have just described in front of us like he has never been described before. And Ezekiel sees all of this in front of him. And as this expanse is lowered, he sees God the Father On his throne, as he is. Or at least as as much as Ezekiel is able to take in, being the limited fallen being that he is. The throne of God is there, and and it's magnificent. Take all the magnificence of the things I've been describing to you this morning and multiply them by like a million times. It's it's described as, as being the sapphire that's gleaming with light. The person sitting on it is gleaming with fire. There's fire all around him, and the appearance around him is like that of a rainbow. Filled with color. Absolutely amazing. It's the glory of God. And, and I love this last verse. Okay? Verse 28. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. That's what we're seeing. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Ezekiel, to have just seen God's throne face to face? I know I would have fallen face down, just like Ezekiel, if I had witnessed such a vision. I wanted to show you this passage today on the big screen. Perhaps you've noticed that I have the screen in front of me and that we didn't read the Bible text in our normal placement. And I apologize for that, throwing throwing you for a loop there. But uh, I wanted to show you something I found online that I thought did a really good job of not only reading this text for us, but also illustrating it to the best of our ability. And I want you just to take it all in. Take some of the things that we've studied, put aside all the details and the the questions, and just take the whole vision as it is. And I ask that you'd lower the screen at this point, as it'll take a minute, and, and we'll hear this text read aloud to us once again with a little bit fuller understanding.
1: Now it came about in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, while I was in the midst of the exiled people by the river Kibar, that the heavens were opened, and I began to see visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, that is, in the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of Jehovah occurred specifically to Ezekiel, the son of Buzi, the priest in the land of the Chaldeans, by the river Kibar. And upon him in that place the hand of Jehovah came to be. And I began to see and look. There was a tempestuous wind coming from the north, a great cloud mass and quivering fire. And it had a brightness all around. And out of the midst of it there was something like the look of Electrum out of the midst of the fire. And out of the midst of it there was the lightness of four living creatures. And this was how they looked. They had the likeness of earthling man, and each one had four faces, and each one of them four wings. And their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of the foot of a calf, and they were gleaming as with the glow of burnished copper. And there were the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides, and the four of them had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joining one to the other. They would not turn when they went. They would go, each one, straight forward. And as for the likeness of their faces, the four of them had a man's face with a lion's face to the right, and the four of them had a bull's face on the left. The four of them also had an eagle's face. That is the way their faces were. And their wings were spreading out upward. Each one had two joining to each other, and two were covering their bodies. And they would go, each one, straight forward. To wherever the spirit would incline to go, they would go. They would not turn as they went. And as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. Something like the appearance of torches was moving back and forth between the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire there was lightning going forth. And on the part of the living creatures there was a going forth and a returning as with the appearance of the lightning. As I kept seeing the living creatures, why, look, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, by the four faces of each. As for the appearance of the wheels and their structure, it was like the glow of chrysolite. All four of them had one likeness, and their appearance and their structure were just as when a wheel proved to be in the midst of a wheel. When they went, they would go on their four respective sides, They would not turn another way when they went. As for their rims, they had such height that they caused fearfulness. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. And when the living creatures went, the wheels would go beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels would be lifted up. Wherever the spirit inclined to go, they would go. The spirit inclining to go there and the wheels themselves would be lifted up close alongside them for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. When They went, These would go. And when They stood still, These would stand still. And When They were lifted up from the earth, The wheels would be lifted up close alongside them for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. And over the heads of the living creatures there was the likeness of an expanse like the sparkle of awesome ice stretched out over their heads up above and under the expanse their wings were straight one to the other each one had two wings covering on this side each one had two covering on that side their bodies and I got to hear the sound of their wings a sound like that of vast waters like the sound of the almighty one When they went the sound of a tumult like the sound of an instrument, When they stood still, they would let their wings down. And there came to be a voice above the expanse that was over their head. When they stood still, they would let their wings down. And above the expanse that was over their head, there was something in appearance like sapphire stone, the likeness of a throne. And upon the likeness of the throne, there was a likeness of someone in appearance, like an earthling man upon it. Up above. And I got to see something like the glow of electrons, like the appearance of fire all around inside thereof. From the appearance of his hips and upward, and from the appearance of his hips and downward, I saw something like the appearance of fire, and he had a brightness all around. There was something like the appearance of the bow that occurs in a cloud mass on the day of a pouring rain. That is how the appearance was of the brightness round about. It was the appearance of the lightness of the glory of the truth.
0: That's God's throne as he currently sits on it. To think that the beings that we just saw aren't just imagery, but real. Ones that exist and fly around the throne of God even as we speak. That is breathtaking to me. God's glory is real. He is real. And one day, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you will be able to see him just as he is. And that's what's amazing to me, that we have been given this glimpse of God clearly. And not even as clearly as we're able to see it one day. We have given it, uh, been given it to a certain degree, but one day when we stand before his presence, we will see it even in a more clear fashion. You and I will one day be able to stand before the cherubim. We will behold the sapphire throne of God. We'll be blinded by the rainbow. And we will see God and know him, and we'll see his face. I can't wait for that. I hope you feel the same way. Let's pray.